This is your host, Jason Snurgrove, and I will be your guide as we journey down the road to pleasure hunt or hitting the long trail to those great cop hunts. This is the Coon Hound Collective. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Jason over at the Coonhound Collective Podcast. I'm here today to tell you about one of our sponsors, Cocky's Outdoors. Whether you need a few dog collars or the whole setup, they can fix you up. They have a wide range of products from hound hunting to fishing. My friends over at Cocky's Outdoors can help you out. You can order online at conkeysoutdoors.com. Call them at 904-692-1568, 904-692-1568, or if you're in the Haston, Florida area, go by and see them. Again, that's at conkeysoutdoors.com because we support Support people who support our way of life. Uh, the, the, the breeding of the dogs is the most key element is knowing what you're breeding, knowing the characteristics. For example, if you've got a, a dog that uh, has a bad characteristic or trait that you don't like, don't accentuate the negative by breeding to another dog that's got the same problem and you're just gonna have double the trouble. You know, sometimes you can breed some things out of dogs, some of it can't be, you know. It's just like what's going on in our country today. You Ignorant to the fact can be fixed. If, if you don't know, you just don't know. So you can be taught or trained on that, but stupidity can be fixed. I mean, that, that's something that's, you know, if it's just stupid, it's just stupid. One thing I might add while we're talking, first of all, most of us coon hunters don't have enough property on the hunt. We have to depend on other people, landowners. We need to respect that. We need to respect the landowner. What hurt us around here, a lot of places, and I hear the same story, a lot of places you go, people throwing down trash, people not through respecting, maybe turning down their fences. If you cross the fence, go under it if you can't. If you're climbing over and you break a loop, fix it back for them. If you have to, go back the next day and fix it back. Go to a landowner and offer to help. Be a, be uh, wise enough to know that something I can do to help mow the grass or help fix a fence or whatever the needs are. Help haul the hay if they need to haul in the hay to the farmer or whatever you can do to help out. And, and you know, all good things in life don't come free. Somebody's got to do something to earn it. And sometimes we need to earn the right to be able to hunt on somebody else's property that we don't own. Those excerpts are from the interview that I've done with Mr. A.L. McSwain today. There's a lot of nuggets to pull out of here. Those are just two of many. I hope you'll stay tuned to the end and pick up on any nuggets that you hear today from this story. Without further ado, here's Mr. A.L. McSwain, the Flint Rock Coon Club, the Flint Rock Baptist Church, and of course, his hunting supply and feed store story. All right, guys, thank you for listening to the Coon Hound Collective podcast today. Today, we have a guest that was actually brought to me by one of y'all listeners out there, Nicholas Blanton. I would appreciate you uh, sending us a message through the Coon Hound Collective Facebook page and putting me in touch with Mr. A.L. McSwain. Uh, Mr. A.L. McSwain lives on the eastern part of the United States, and we're going to get him on the telephone here in just a minute. Stand by. 
All right, today we uh-huh. have Mr. A.L. McSwain with us on the Coonhound Collective Podcast. Mr. A.L., how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. Mr. A.L., won't you uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, where you was born and raised, and uh, what kind of dogs, and how, how you got kind of started in the coon hunting business? Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity, and I've been reading up on your podcast and, and your information, and uh hadn't heard about you until somebody until you'd call me and somebody had told me about you from South Carolina. I've got one of my puppies. And uh it looks like you're doing a real good professional job. Well, anyway, my name my name is A.O. McSwain and I've been around for a while. I'm <clears throat> I'm probably old as dirt about, but uh I started off at a very early age, about seventy years ago, possum hunting with a neighbor down here we had very few coons in those days and we didn't even have a coon season uh as far as axe gun and saw was prohibited and all you could do was you could have 20 coons in a season if you could catch them and tree them uh but you you couldn't use a gun or axe or a saw but anyway before i knew that i uh i had a, a relative down the road down here wanted to go possum hunt one night well that intrigued me because my dad had hound dogs we rabbit hunted with, and I went with him rabbit hunting, and we had an old dog, his red dog, uh, had some red bone in him, but he is a crossbred. He had a little white in his chest, and anyway, he, uh, he wanted to trail a lot, cold trail in the morning while we were rabbit hunting and get on a possum trail, and, and he'd trail it to the den in, in the ground or we'd de- try to dig him out, or or uh, he'd get to the tree, but he wouldn't tree. If there's a nest in the tree, or den tree, and, and he would get there, and he'd start backtracking. So Dad always told me that, you know, so I, I was intrigued by that, and it ended up that, that uh, I uh, dug out a couple possums, and that intrigued me, and then this cousin down here wanted to go possum hunting one night and that's back in the day that we only had kerosene lanterns and uh it's cold as as it could be and he went up to uh, his father-in-law's farm apple orchard and uh he had a, a, a elderly gentleman a black gentleman up there that liked possums liked to hunt them but i didn't know it, but i think they both wanted a little something to drink to kind of keep them warm on the inside I, that's just my reflection, I don't know that for sure, but I think that's what it was. But we got out, and we didn't do much. But that interested me, to taking a dog, catching a possum, and seeing that done in daytime. Well, when I was eight years old, we had a Russian red bone. Uh, and then that red dog that I was telling you about, the cold trail. And, and so I told Mom and Dad, after going with him, I, I'd like to go possum hunting. And Dad said, well, you know, they might run rabbits on you. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, so we just, back then, we let our dogs just run loose. Uh, most of them just stayed under the house. It uh, wasn't underpinned. And, of course, we, at that time, we just had outside John, and we was well off with as a two-holder. Most people never had but a one-holder. But anyway, we, uh, we, I just grew up in the country and, and little farm out here, and we just, uh, we did, we was poor, but we didn't know we was poor. We, we thought we was just happy as we could be. So anyway, I took off, went possum hunting with the kerosene lantern and two cell flashlight. Got over there and the old red dog 
Plute, what we call him, he had struck, he's trailing out through the woods, and, and what had happened to him, them dogs, we, as I said, we fed them under the house. I mean, we, we fed them, they still lived under the house, and they'd come outside and eat. Well, we, we would clean the rabbits, and they got the innards of the rabbits, and, and uh, we killed hogs on a regular basis and sold pork to the community, and back then it was illegal, and anyway, uh, the dogs got a lot of the scraps, so you'd come outside to feed them and give them something, and they'd, like Jerry Clyde say, you know, you throw it out there, and one of them done grabbed it and swallowed it, and the rest of them got in the fight because they didn't know what it had, where it went, so anyway, that's pretty much what happened to him, and they, they got a hold of him, and, and uh, it broke his front leg, and it, he had, he kind of walked with a cripple, Part, so he wasn't fast on what I'm saying on the track. So anyway, we trailed back out to there, and the big red, rest of red bone, Buck, it was his name, he was off out running the rabbit. And uh, old Pluke trailed that thing up to the tree, and he started coming back toward me. And so I was trying to keep up with him, and me at eight years old, and carrying the lantern and the flashlight. And so we... uh. I happened to get the edge of the woods and met him coming back, and there wasn't but one tree on the edge of that pasture, and it's a persimmon tree. And and I threw my flashlight out there at the tree, and I saw them little bitty eyes shining. So I climbed, I went out there, and and uh, I got to, I got him up there to the tree, and he started barking. And then the, the, when he started treeing, the other red dog come in. He started treeing. So I said, now, what am I going to do to get this possum? Uh, I'd already had a couple at home in the cage where we dug out from rabbit hunting. And uh, so I decided that I was going to climb the tree. So I carried the flashlight with me. I climbed up there, and it's a, a tree with plenty of limbs on it. And I was able to stand on the lower limb and the possum right above me and walk out and with one hand and get the possum's attention with the flashlight in my mouth and uh, one end of it and I was able to reach and grab him uh, behind the neck and caught the possum and brought him down to uh, brought him down to the ground and anyway uh, as I was coming down and climbing back down the tree the limb the limb hit uh, uh, my cap bill which was dad's favorite cap back then it was a, a cordura type cap corduroy you might say was reversible and had red on the other side, and that dad dad loved that because uh, he'd got shot several years earlier uh, by this cousin that took me possum hunting and there was rabbit hunting, and there's a because a quail flew up and didn't see dad on the other side of the ditch, so he still had some shot in his face, and I was lucky to be alive. But anyway, they survived that. But here he had this cap, so he wanted to be noted, and that was before. Is red. It wasn't a hunter orange like it is today, where it's required. Back then, nothing like that was required. So that cap hit that limb and fell off. Well, them dogs grabbed that cap, and they had the cap tow up before I got down out the tree with the possum in my hand. And I just saw, oh, Lord, Dad's gonna whoop me. I'm gonna get my rear end tore up for this. Anyway, it's carrying. I carrying the possum, and I was trying to hold it up. Eight years old, and the dog was weighed more, both of them weighed more than what I did, and I can just see me now telling them dogs to get down and quit, and me trying to carry the lantern and uh, carry the possum too, walked in the house, mom and dad's already in the bed, and back then we didn't have no light switches, we just had pull chains, went to the headboard, old iron headboard of the 
bed and I knocked on the door and mama opened the door and she was in front of the bed laying there and she yeah so the door was just open just enough that the, the bed was right beside the door so when she opened it there I was and pulled a pull chain on there I was with that possum and it drooling right down she screamed and hollered at and and I told him, I said, Daddy, I don't want you to get mad. The dogs tore your cap up. I figured he'd quit me, but he, I guess he was so amused of it. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. And so anyway, Mama hollering, get that thing out of here. So I took it down and put it in the cage, peeing I had for the other possums. And ended up, that, you know, that really interested me. And I felt successful in my first venture on my own at eight years of age. And, uh, and so we caught several possums later on, and and I I had it one time I had 27 possums. That was some, some sow possums with some little ones too, combination of all. And I possum hunted some. And about 12 years of age, I had an uncle invited me to go coon hunting with him. Since I've been possum hunting, because he used to possum hunt, he had combination dogs, possum and coon. And he's the only one in the family on both sides of the family, mamas and dads, that did night hunt. So <clears throat> I went with him, and, and he found out I could climb a tree. So uh, we got in the summertime when uh, when the uh, leaves was in the tree and seasons were down. We just chained the dogs up, and I'd climb up and knock the possum, uh, coon out, and we'd have another race. But back then, we had such few coons, you might hunt your whole a lot of time that you planned to hunt that night in one spot and turn out one time. And if you treat a coon, one coon a night, you'd done good around here. But anyway, that uh, that changed as we got uh, got older and moved. <laughs> they ventured some down to South Carolina where, where it was legal down there for raccoons and they had a better population than we did. And so we hunted down there and hunted with a few other people. And in the meantime, I had a couple dogs that we'd tried to make uh, night dogs out of, but they it's too trashy. They run too much junk. I know I got on my uncle's nerves. He told me one night when I asked him, I said, Uncle Joe, what's that dog running? He said, I don't know. He said, you won't ask a whole lot of questions. I said, yeah, I know it, Uncle Joe. But I said, they always told me in school, if you want to know the answer to something, ask a question. He said, well, it could be a peanut or a Malmo or a pinochle as far as I know. <laughs> well, I didn't know what he's talking about then, but, you know, it was uh, hilarious when I got to thinking about it before, you know, really humored me a good bit. But anyway, he taught me a lot about possum hunting and night hunting, and we still learning a lot about the coon deal, too. So uh, I used to climb the trees a lot, and uh, I have seen some uh, – uh, real challenging things and experiences hunting, but maybe I'll get a chance to tell that later. But anyway, I, I did, uh, we had back then, we had agriculture class, and I was starting into junior high school, um, which is called middle school now. And Mr. Sharp had taught my dad and my brother in agriculture, and they found out that I had possums. Well, he always had, back then, there's a lot of people around here, or several people possum hunted. And he had what to call a possum supper, and he'd do it for the whole community that wanted to come. And we used it at the school. And, it, of course, they'd have ham and steak and everything. But they always wanted possum. And so he got me furnishing the possum for an agriculture supper 
the possum supper every year. And but since I had some possums, and so I always fed, put them up and fed them cornbread and milk for about six weeks before we cut them. Well, anyway, that we uh, we had a real good time growing up. And uh, when uh, when I graduated from high school, I carried some of the boys with those combination dogs with me hunting and and uh, occasionally I'd tree a coon but most time it's possums and we had some real interesting friends I'd made and some wouldn't go back with me after a night a bad night or two but anyway the, the class always called me Poss nicknamed me Poss and uh, they went to get me graduate and they called me up senior class in high school and the class officers had made me a possum sack and they had told me that that was they was giving me that as a graduation present for me to put all them possums in i'd plan to catch after graduation but anyway a little bit to that story it's ironic how god had blessed me and i've been able to meet so many people and travel so much and do a lot of things in the coon mountain world and things changed and later on uh i thought maybe i was pretty athletic in school and football and baseball and I thought maybe you know they, they get a little recognition there a lot of times and and anyway uh, it must have been uh, 40 years after we graduated uh I'm thinking I'm thinking now the, the dates but I think it's about 40 years we had a class reunion my 53rd 50 yeah 51st uh graduation anniversary what it was and uh I had uh, they had uh just a few years earlier had picked me to and selected to go in the Cheryl Sports Hall of Fame for be a, a professional coon hunter. And uh, I told graduating class uh, in 50, after 51 years, and I said, didn't you remember the possum sack you gave me? And they'd forgotten about it. And I said, well, that possum sack turned into a coon sack, and uh, I've got to go to a lot of places. So anyway, that, that kind of brings me up to date with some of the, some of the things that, uh, that I did there, but I I kept on learning and asking questions, trying to learn as much as I can. While I was in grammar school, I'd read in junior high school when it was, I got the, the Where the Red Ferns Grow, and I read that book, and he's talking about a little boy. That opened a whole new world for me. I didn't read a whole lot of books because I was involved in the country and, and just a country boy, but that book intrigued me so I, I cried like a baby after reading a little red, where the red fern grows i'd recommend any young boy to read that book it uh, you can even get it on video now but it it that intrigued me about coon hunting and it's already getting involved some and already with coons and possums but that helped me decide even more so that's what i wanted to so <clears throat> My uncle had found when I was a senior, uh, I mean, not senior, when I was, uh, must have been about 10, 12 years old, my grandfather, we had to move in with my grandfather and grandmother. She had fell, was bedridden and uh, broken hips, and my grandfather had a stroke, and I, I slept beside him at night because he had trouble controlling his bladder, and and uh, so sometimes walking home after football, doing the chores, milking the cows, and it was milking, hand milking, and, and feeding the hogs and the chickens, and looking after that. And dad was trying to work a couple jobs and, uh, to keep uh, the family going. And so uh, my uncle 
had a friend that had this little dog named Penny, a little plot female. And I done had a couple of dogs. And, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, didn't have a place for them. And we just turned them loose. And one of them, somebody run over his dirt roads in by here, but still somebody, I don't know why I like to rent a little mud hole, pothole. And somebody just run over it right there in the yard. Oh, it's almost in her yard because our house was real close to the, the road. Anyway, I had a couple other dogs and it didn't pan out. And here, this little dog was a pretty good little dog. And, and uh, he decided that his wife didn't want him out hunting anymore at night. And I'd been with him coon hunting a little bit. And that Uncle Joe's dog just treated a couple coons. And this little penny, she had treated several coons and, and uh, he said that he's gonna sell her for thirty-five dollars. Well I thought, Lord have mercy, how in the world can I come up with thirty-five dollars? Ain't no way in the world. But I sure would love to have her. <laughs> and so Uncle Joe would told my dad about it. So dad went into my grandpa. Grandpa was in a walker and he said, Dad, you know, Dad, you had two hogs down there. We've been racing and you know, always kill hogs and sell them meat. And AL's been awful good to you. You know, one of them hogs is mine and one of them's yours. And AL's been giving you shaving, helping you have baths, sleeping inside of you night and he's planning to play football and go to school. Dad, why don't you give one of them hogs to AL and I'll buy it from him and I'll give him thirty five dollars for it. And he did that, and so that's how I ended up with the first real coon dog. And, oh, how mercy she was a prize. <laughs> Wasn't too long. I remember us going down to pace our mount one night with her. We had four dogs. Uncle Joe would give me his older female called Belle. She's a high, high tan dog. Uh, and uh, he had a couple dogs, a black and tan, and another spotted dog. We'd, we'd refer to them as English, but at that time I didn't know it was English. But anyway, they treat a big old coon on Pesar Mountain down there. And I had to climb out three trees and shake him out. They couldn't handle him. He was so big. He just kept fighting them dogs. He finally just laid down on his back and he just, when they come in, he'd really work on them. And they, they'd stand back and bark and he'd take off and run up and get up another tree. So after three times, a little old Penny's nose had just cut all the pieces. And, all the dogs was bleeding pretty much, and he said, I thought that was the biggest and greatest thing in the world. I prized that, and I still got the picture of them two dogs, and we got another coon that night, too, and, and that became. So, you know, that really just set me on fire for sure then, you know, and I thought, well, this is what I wanted to do. I want to be a coon hunter. And when things would have it, things later, I, I lost her because of, she'd came in season, and I didn't know that, but uh, when I found out she was in season, uh, she had uh, I had to pin her up, and I didn't have a place. So we had the barn down there, and the barn loft where we kept hay and and all. So I tied her up there. Uh, she broke through the slats at the back and hung herself. And uh, you talk about a young boy, 15, 16 years old. I about 16 at the time. Now that broke my heart. But anyway, uh, I you know that made me determine I was going to train me a coon dog. So I spent a lot of time working with different dogs and, and different breeds. Got my first registered dog. Uh, I had one one before I got the registered dog named Shag. He's a half bird dog, half set of bird dog and half plot. And he was some old coon dog. He had a little bit too much mouth on the track, but he sure was a good tree dog. And and he's jam up fighter. Man, he would really fight a coon. But anyway, after that, I got me. 
little black and tan dog that a fella had for sale when I was 20, not 20 years old, 18, 19 years old, I guess it was, a uh, little black and tan for $100 and a 22 rifle and a, and a, a dog lead and a little pouch to carry a light in, which that was something else. I carried my six-volt light. It's pretty heavy anyway. And uh, that rifle, Dad gave me $10 for the rifle, so he, since he killed a lot of hogs, I didn't carry a rifle because my uncle always carried a rifle when I went with him. But anyway, uh, here I had $90 in that dog, and he turned out to be one of the best dogs I ever had in my life. But I've had some good ones, but he was he's a special dog to me. And little old black and tan gray dog, he's a cross between a red bone and a black and tan. And then I ended up getting my first rescue dog. It's a blue tick. He is three years old, and I got him out of the jockey lot. If some some of you might not know what a jockey lot is. That's where we it's all time trading dogs. We had a lot of dog traders around in the country, and from tree dogs to fox dogs, rabbit dogs, squirrel dogs, whatever just house dogs. Anyway, I got the first rescued blue tick, and uh, he is he had never been trained, hadn't been broke, and he'd run anything about put his foot on the ground, and I had to break him. His cold nose, he'd about freeze you to death. He was the coldest nose dog. <laughs> he could tree a coon the next day where he'd walked the night before, uh, and have done that before. But anyway, he, I did get him broke. By the time I got him broke, he was probably about four years old. By the time he was five, he absolutely wouldn't run nothing but a coon. So that's the first dog I really broke and had to break. And that, that interested me. So I ended up with some blue tick dogs. And, Mr. A, I'm going to uh, jump, jump in here just a minute. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you, but when you're talking about breaking this blue tick, th- this was pre yeah. any type of stimulation collars, correct? Oh, yeah. We never had no, no electronic stuff at all. Can you real, yeah, that's, real quick, briefly... Go into a little bit of detail what you did to break that dog from uh, from okay. running junk. Yeah. All right. Okay. What happened was I was hunting over here on a creek called Buffalo Creek one night and turned him out. He went up through there up the creek and it's not real deep, but pretty good sized creek. Some people call it a, a little river, but it went up through there and he he struck and run up there and I knew he wasn't running right the other dog wouldn't run it that I had with him, even though it wasn't much of a dog, it wouldn't run it. And he was running that thing, fire you well, and, and he usually didn't run it like that. So he's coming down the side of the hill, and he's, there's a path going up through there. And I guess there's a regular path that the rabbit travel. So I stepped back right at the edge of the woods line there and some weeds, and they come by me, and I run, I jumped out and hollered at him and caught him. Probably people wouldn't like to hear that, but I, I gave him a thrashing. He needed it. He deserved it. And he, it scared him so bad, he uh, he about went all over himself. And, uh, you know, when I broke him off that and scolded him and talked to him real rough, like you know, I, I was disappointed in him, you know, that uh, I didn't have no more problem with that. So from after that, when I broke him from that, I broke him from everything. The only thing he run the rest of his life till I owned him, until I sold him, uh, until when I started a kennel with Lee Debman to play basketball for the University of North Carolina and, and went on to sign the pro contract for Utah Stars. And we, he is from Maryland, but his family was raised down here next to us in the summer. He'd spend the summers down here, so that's how we got to know each other. 
he wanted to be part of that kennel. But anyway, we did that. But before I sold him, I used him for a strike dog. I hunted down South Carolina with a fellow named Neil Whitworth in my early 20s. And uh, he uh, was running one night. He had walkers and some of the sailor bloodline. And, and he, uh, the dog's treating the bank next to the creek right hand up in the bank and old rock was up in there the blue tick and the walker and we got in there and neil said oh my heavens that skunk they done got a skunk and i said no rock rock won't tree no skunk neil yes they are i smell it i smell i said neil i'm telling you rock is straight if another dog's running crash he'll tell them so uh he said well I'm, there's a skunk in there i said no it's not I got up on top of the bank up there and went to dig and found a, a little crease in it that I could break through, dug the dirt down, got behind the coon and got him with a stick and got his attention. The dog was able to run in, grab him and pull him out of there and fight him. Neil's, I never believe that. Neil, bless his heart, gone on, uh, passed on, but he told that story for 40 years that he said when A.L. McSween said he had one broke, he had him broke. <laughs> He said he knew his dog was better than I did. Yeah, well, so, I, anyway. I, I wanted you to tell that because yeah. a lot of shoe leather went into breaking a dog uh, back in the yeah. day before the, the electronics we had. When when I started coon hunting, I didn't have a tracking system or a, or a, yeah. any type of electronics. My my parents didn't care that I went, but you know they weren't going to spend that kind of money. And I was competition hunting until I was. You know, 17, 18 years old, before I, and I didn't buy a system. I just bought a collar that went with the old yeah. quick track system that somebody could track for me if my dog got lost. Yeah. But that, <laughs> I wanted you to tell a little bit about that because okay. a lot of people don't realize when you say you broke one, you know, it's, you know, it wasn't with a, wasn't with a collar. You was, yeah. you was out there with I, the dog I, in the woods, um, putting the time in with him to, to get it figured out. I, so, I, that's right. Well, thank you. And, and you're right. And, I just take it for granted, but another thing is that the rock dog I was talking about, the blue tick, was so cold nosed, and uh, he'd get off on a cold track, and everybody's ready, impatient, wanting to go home and quit. And if you just leave him there, he'd track it up. But good gracious, he it cold, it freeze you to death. Other dogs, that little buck dog I had, the brown pan couldn't smell it. So what he would do was, uh, what I would do, I got me a horn, a cow horn, sawed off the end of it hollered it out, and then I taught him to come in from the sound of the horn. I'd blow the horn for him to come in, and fox hunters used to do that, what they called, a, uh, I believe they had a magazine called a, the horn, something about the horn, I forgot what it, the name is now, but anyway, uh, that that's how I was able to train him to come in, but you know, he's a little hard-headed, it took him a while, but sometimes it'd take him a while to get him in, but I'd get him, get him in with the horn, but when he's doing something wrong, like you said, you had to run him down. And I was young, and I had good legs and fairly well fast enough. And, uh, I mean, I had to run down dogs. I remember the first time in South Carolina and got into some deer. We didn't have no deer around here then. And uh, I had to, had to run down a couple times and run dogs down uh, on deer. And uh, you just got to head him off. You pull you see the direction he's headed and try to pull your vehicle around to get the closest road to try to get in front of you and then you take off and so you don't know where you're going to end up but anyway the main objective was to catch that dog and he had to he had to be scolded for it and i don't mean brutal beatings but i mean it had to be firm enough that you had to let him know that it wasn't a desired 
want or a trait that had to break him from. Anyway, I've grown, I've had grown from some of those experiences, and I don't have time to tell them all, but I'm, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while. I'm 77 now. And, uh, I started at a young age, but I really ran around 12, 13 years old before I started coon hunting. And so it's all been a learning process. I'm still learning today, and uh, I'm probably in the winter of my life right now, but I plan to spend what time I've got trying to teach my grandsons and son-in-law about handling the dogs. I'm not able to get in the woods now, but I try to teach them as much as I can. I got two grandsons that does a good job on handling dogs. Well, that's, and, uh, that's what this is about is to, is to re- <laughs> relay some information uh, and preserve history of our sport. That's, that's what I, yeah. that's my goal with this podcast. And just like that little tidbit, I want people that never experience not hunting with electronics to understand what it took to get out there and to work a dog back in the day when you didn't have those those things available to you. Hey guys, this is Jason over at the Coonhound Collective Podcast. If you're thinking about swapping to a different dog feed, give my friends a look over at ExtremeDogFuel.com. They carry two different lines. They carry an elite and a professional. The professional has corn, wheat, and soy in it. The elite does not have corn, wheat, and soy. Go over to ExtremeDogFuel.com. See which line and which mixture is right for you. Find a retailer near you. If you're in the southwest Missouri, northwest Arkansas area, you can't find a retailer and you want to give it a shot, hit me up at Collective at gmail.com. I am a current dealer for Extreme Dog Fuel. I can get you price and I can get you dog feed. Again, go see my friends over at ExtremeDogFuel.com. You won't be disappointed. So, going forward past that blue tick, um, when did the when did the kennel actually start with the with the English dogs? Well, uh, I uh, I actually started with the blue tick called Gunsmoke. I got from Preacher Bruce Lear down Tabor City, North Carolina, and he's a great big old blue tick dog and solid blue, no brown whatsoever. He's almost black, it's a blue. Uh, and it runs coons on the swamp down there like nothing on the water you've ever seen. Uh, I, we don't, went down on vacation, heard about him in Full Crime Magazine, I believe it was. And so I called him up while we were on vacation because we vacationed at North Myrtle, right not far from there. So we went hunting. I saw one. I liked him, and I decided I'm going to get him. Now, uh, I liked him. I bought the dog. He's eat up heartworms. Didn't know it at the time, but uh, he did live a long life and had him treated. It affected me. But anyway, when I got back with him, uh, from the beach, <laughs> we had a little valiant four on the floor, and and we had three of our nieces with us, the wife and I, and that dog, and he was too big for the trunk. We put all the clothes in the trunk of the car and had him in the back seat with them three girls, <laughs> and his would be he could uh, top of the, his back, but almost and head would touch almost the roof of the car when him standing in the seat back there. <laughs> so, Anyway, we got him home, and Lee Devon really wanted to do something, getting ready to 
play. He'd brought his roommate, Richard Tuttle, from Kentucky with him, and Dean Smith would get mad at him, sometimes missing practice. They'd come in to go coon hunting, and here my wife had to stay busy trying to to fill them two boys up. <laughs> it's so big. And Lee didn't like but half inch being seven foot. Uh, and so uh, anyway, we he wanted part of it and said, I'm going to play basketball, and I've already got an offer. So he signed a no-cut contract, Utah Stars. We went up to Tennessee and bought a blue English dog. And I'd already found an, a blue tick female to raise some puppies, and he wanted to be part of it. So we named it Gunsmoke Coonham Kennels and started with that. And uh, we got several blue tick females and, and several uh, English uh, females and started raising some puppies. And uh, one time I had 42 dogs, pups, and all here. And, and uh, I had been selling the pups pretty good, but I was going to the Grand American. This must have been in the early 60s. Went to Grand American and uh, just found out Gunsmoke had heartworms. Still wanted to hunt him anyway, and but that I, I did, but that was a mistake. But anyhow, uh, we we went down to Somerville, South Carolina, almost down next to Paris Island. Marina's going back to Paris Island. Fell asleep. I had a a brand new truck, a Dodge, four door, two seated. I couldn't afford it, but back then that was the top of the line air condition. Uh, and I mean, it's it tops. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was able to get it because the coon club I belonged to over at Langton that time I helped organize. Uh, his one of the uh, one of the hunters over there, Daddy owned Lockman Motors, and we were able to get. I was able to get it, and he let me get it for a hundred dollars over their cost. And at that time, it's the best I can remember is about forty-seven, forty-eight hundred dollars for that truck. That truck today would be over sixty thousand dollars. But anyway, and so here we had a wreck, and I had a boy in there, and uh, two in the back seat from Tennessee, and one had went down to some uh, where he broke a leg and uh, broke his leg in a motorcycle. I had a cast on. He'd rode along, and myself and had a wreck and total lost the truck and didn't hurt the dog except the, the big gun smoke's tail. Uh, I guess he was standing up in that big box and slammed when I hit that foam pole power pole and broke it off. And uh, anyway, we was lucky that, you know, we didn't get, the Marine got hurt worse. He's in a little Volkswagen and he got, we, I ended up hospitalized with a concussion and and uh, it was out six weeks, but that put a damper on my kennel. And here we'd done had things going with the kennel, and and that put me. So I was out of work. My wife was my wife was uh, struggling. She had, uh, we got married. She was sixteen, and I was nineteen, and she never graduated from high school, and so uh, she's working a little sewing plant bringing home $55 a week. Well, here I was out of work. My job, I was working in Carolina Freight, which is a trucking concern. I worked there 32 years and retired. But when I started down there, we were just making a little over $2 an hour. 
and here I had no income and I was out for six weeks and I was feeding them dogs and all them pups and dogs. And uh, people was uh, uh, backing out on me and I had parvo went through and I started killing some of the pups, dying some of the puppies off and one thing or another. And people backed out on buying some of the pups and, and here I was feeding them and the dogs and it's taking the wife's paycheck, $55. $50 to feed the dogs a week, and that left $5 for me and her and the two kids. Uh, and so it, it got it got real rough, sticky around here. And there's some people made up and helped us out there for a little while, but it put some growing into me. And uh, and I'm I'm real religious. I was real involved in church and, and everything, but the Lord just saw us through. We went through it for a reason. It helped make us stronger and better, both of us. But it was testing our marriage and the relationship because I'd put a lot of strain on it, and it's undue. Uh, but anyhow, it, uh, it, it that was a, a good settling point for me. So I I had to be committed to what I was doing to continue to doing what I was doing. So we did. We made it through that time, and and our marriage made it through it. Now we've been married. We just got through celebrating. Our 58 years of marriage, you know, I, I'm proud of that fact. Yeah, one other time that I almost lost my marriage, it was one of the best dogs I ever had and had to have, uh, he got hit. We just finished uh, winning uh, second place in the big A world with him. And boy was handling for him and handling for him. And actually he should have won it, but there's his nest in it. And we was up on top of the bank along with the judge and we couldn't say anything. Um, uh, and uh, uh, the the guide, and so when they got through shining time was up, they told him, says, come on up here, and, and it was almost 20 foot down, straight off, right, a ledge, like going off down to the uh, uh, bottom land down there, and we was almost eye level with that nest, so we'd done seen the coon, but we couldn't tell them, and he said, come on up here, we're going home anyway, and time's up and show you when you get up here. So he showed him the coon and he just raised up and looked at him one time, you know. But then he would have won the, the PK world. That, but anyhow, that we ended up second place and and getting him ready for the UKC world. And the two young boys, one from Tennessee and another young boy would help handle dogs for me. Uh, they was hunting him one night and uh, one car come by and his his crossing road and broke him up real bad and he ended up with uh, uh, several injuries. Uh, had to amputate one leg and eventually ended up infection got in had to take his shoulder blade out then and uh, he broke up the other legs and anyway it took months, months, months and for him to overcome we had five operations forty five hundred dollars save his life money i didn't have and i had to put on a card that was a testing time for our marriage i almost lost my wife because of that but the dog would give me everything he had and i just felt i had to give everything i could to try to help him and he he survived it and he was able to go out and tree a few coons for me and it just he struggled to do it, but he got it done, and yeah, I just try every time. I just couldn't, couldn't bear to see him have to go through that. But he loved doing it anyway. So anyhow, wasn't able to breed him at one time, and he had to do artificial insemination because he wasn't able to cover a female. But 
Anyway, there's my point is that there's just some challenges in life. Sometimes it's a trying time for you, but you got to continue keeping your faith. And the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the person, the only one can give you the strength to help you overcome some of the obstacles that you might be faced in life. That that is for sure. And, and what was the name of that dog, Mr. L? Uh, uh, Flint Rock Raging Raider the Second. We call him Deuce. And uh, uh, he, uh, he, uh, I mean, he's the smartest dog I've ever owned. But anyway, I, uh, I'm, I'm skipping about there a good bit. I didn't mean to do that, but trying to trying to bring things along. But uh, I, my, I just, you know, I just felt I've helped organize. I've been blessed. I totally blessed. God has blessed me tremendously with the people I've got to meet and the places I've got to go the things I've got to go and the dogs that I've had. And I've helped organize three coon clubs. I've been president for a club up here for about uh, 30, maybe 35 years. And uh, and health's gone down. I'm just not able to be involved. I'd like to be involved more. No, we we, uh, we organized it and uh, sold stock in it, incorporated it, and made the LFC and, and uh, sold stock in the, And so, so the members would have something that they could call their own in a building instead of losing the building or, or somehow change their mind or no longer renting to you, whatever the reason was. So we got three acres of land and, and a building up there and it's a uh, 40 uh, foot wide and uh, let's see, 40, 60 foot long. So it's a pretty good sized building. Sets on three acres next to a creek. And anyway, uh, you know, I, that's been a thing. The thing that you're talking about with young people, I've brought so many people along, my nephews and a lot of young people around the community I always have, and a lot of people have looked at me and, and uh, appreciated that. I've used a lot of young people to handle dogs for me because I had so many dogs at one time. Uh, and I've had as many as... as uh, 15 champion dogs here, dual champions, grand champions, night champions, show champions, uh, uh, English dogs. All of them was English or walk. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think I had about eight eight or nine grand nights all the time. Most of them was dual champion. And uh, five or six night champions plus some other dogs. And you go out there and pick out one, two, or three for whatever you wanted to and go hunting. Most of the time he's gonna be split tree and and might be one dog here or one there or two or whatever, uh, vice versa. Uh, but anyway, just real coon dogs. I've been blessed. Most people will feel fortunate if they have one special dog. I've had several, several special ones. One that my grandson helped finish out. It started at 12 years old because he loved competition. And and he had nine champion degree. We bought him out of Illinois, going back to some of my same bloodline, the double first cousin, my deuce dog, uh, and the old Flint dog that I had, and uh, going back to Captain Cool. And uh, I've got a lot of that bloodline today in the breeding. And so, anyway, I'd say I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've really been blessed with a lot of good dogs. And... Uh, and of course, I've had my share of bad dogs. I mean, you know, I've just found out that the, the key element is raising your dogs is know the breeding, what you're breeding, and 
and trying to, to better the breed, uh, not just dog to dog, just because it's got a paper or, or, just, or even don't have a paper. If we go back to our early days, we didn't know what papers were. I mean, we did the registries didn't really start in the early 1900s or English, but in the 40s and 50s for the Blue Tick and the Walker, you, you know, so uh, we, we didn't. It, when really you think about it, it's a short period of time in the last 60, 70 years how breeding and, and, and dogs have come about and the type of dog today is altogether different than the dogs were then, different breed. I think the dogs today are trained easier than ever. When you had to do all the other with the leg work and, and without any technology and everything, today you've got so many electronics that can help and be an asset if you use them properly on the right dogs. And some dogs, you can't, some, sometimes there's, you got dogs, the best thing that happen is cut the tail off behind the ears. That uh, you could save yourself a lot of problems. But at the same time, you've got a lot of dogs out there that never get the opportunity to become what they want to because they've not been shown what to do. They don't know exactly what you want of them. Most dogs want to police you. And so a lot of times we've got to show them what we want. Now, in that process, they can pick up some bad habits, and we need to be able to pick up on that and help them correct them. Just like when we were raising our children, we're seeing our children start a habit that is not good for them or, or doing something that's not productive for them. We need to help correct them. And, you know, there's several ways of doing it, and I don't mean, you know, uh, uh, everything has to be so strong. You don't have to be, but it, it needs to be firm. Whatever, it needs to be firm. And and if we look, and and, if, and I can't help but use the Bible in reference, and that's the way God does us. He's, well, he's firm with us. And his teachings and the apostles and the leaders that we had that have left the word here for us to go by as a yardstick to measure life by, uh, it, he's firm in what he and he don't change. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. So that's the way life basically is for, for all of us. Uh, I didn't mean to get off on that, but it's it's part of me. Yeah, and so I, I'm that, it. No, that that's good. I uh, um, w when you say that, you can't help but compare it to the Bible. I uh, m my kids have watched where the red fern grows because of me multiple times yeah, yeah. and in yeah, there okay. he talks about the granddad talks about meeting god halfway and yeah that I, I know that's a movie but that is so true um yes sir. if you if you'll do your part he always does his part so right. I, i'm glad that's you right. glad you said that so let's run through some of the dogs uh that you had there at your kennel um the deuce dog and some some of what he yeah. won and some of the yeah. other ones you had there that and what they won yeah yeah, okay, the the first uh, going way back to Gunsmoke, he probably had 500 points. Back then that days, when we went to a hunt around here at State Fuller, or we had a World 600 down in Charlotte uh, next to Concord, we had 100. It wasn't un, unusual to have uh, uh, 80 to 100 dogs show up at a hunt. We would have, they'd have 10 trophies for rusher dogs and 10 trophies for gray dogs. You had just about as many dog, gray dogs hunting in the hunts as you did rusher dogs. And um, so, 
anyway, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big challenge. You had to, you had to have a pretty good dog if he's going to win out on a consistent basis and get that first place win. So I, I never did get a first place win of that dog, but I was learning in the process. But he probably about had about 500 points. And then I had the rock dog, and, and I got several wins with him, and I had several hundred points on him and never got a first with him. So the, all those was challenging. But then I had I had the, the, the ripper dog, and he was already a, a, a grand show champion when I got him. And uh, Jerry Darren ended up uh, getting him. Uh, I believe Jerry is living in Illinois now. He had moved back from North Carolina up to Ohio, where he's from. And uh, I just happened to recently just happened to see where he put on the old Kungam pictures on there, some of the trophies he'd won with the dog. Anyway, uh, uh, I, I went from there to, uh, let's say, uh, I guess uh, I had a, a nine champion female called Brandy. Elk River Brandy, she came from, uh, and, and show champion, Rancho, she came from out of, uh, 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 later on came a partner of mine, Tim Pate, from up in Cross North Carolina, uh, and we had a lot of dogs together, uh, but uh, then also uh, Tony Clonger, which a uh, professional baseball player uh, and a pitch, baseball pitcher, uh, with Atlanta Braves, with Milwaukee Braves and Atlanta Braves, and then he was San Francisco, and uh, he was with the Giants and uh, Cardinals for a while, and he ended up coaching with the uh, Yankees for uh, 15 years. Uh, he was the manager for one, and, and then he was a bullpen coach for him, and then he went to various latter years. He went to the Red Sox, uh, and he was a pitching coach for the Red Sox as, as he was. Uh, developed some uh, health problems. He ended up still as a, a consultant till the day he died. They hired him for the rest of his life as a consultant for the pitchers. Anyway, he uh, he put me on a lot of things, and I I would got to go places with the Walker breed that I never would have with uh, Timothy Ball and several other people, and and, uh, and the Shaker Dog. We ended up winning twelfth uh, in the UKC World with him. Sixth in the PKC world, now PKA world, and uh, had a good showing in the PKC world. But anyway, he was a real good dog. and had two Walker females, uh, Grand Knight champions. Uh, Nail was out of a uh, Nailer, and uh, Lady. Uh, right now, Lady, I'm, uh, I can't think uh, her bloodline right now. I'm just getting mine. She's a she's a good dog, but. We had a couple of other Walker dogs, but those were, I had the Black Jack dog, the Grand Knight champion. This is a pretty good dog. He got young boys hunting for me, and he got run over one night. But anyway, I, I, going back to the English breed with the Flint, uh, was out of the Captain Cool and Grand Knight champion. And, uh, and I won Southern English days with him. Uh, had, uh, Randy at the same time. She was, uh, won Southern English, won off the sex. Southern English Days, and then I had uh, Southern English Days. Little Ann, she won uh, opposite sex. Uh, Fancy won opposite sex. Uh, champion, uh, should they both of those were dual champions. Uh, Queen, she won uh, opposite sex at Southern English Days twice. Uh, Zeus, when uh, he was had more titles than any other dog, he is directly out of uh, uh, 
Roller, which was out of Smooth Talking Jed, which was another litter mate to Flint, and he's out of Captain Cool. And a lot of my bloodline today goes back to the three three champion dogs, Grand Knight champions out of uh, Captain Cool was Rocky uh, and the, and uh, uh, Smooth Talking Jed and, uh, and Flint. But anyway, several of the females, I can't. I just can't call them all now, you know, without looking at them. But anyway, uh, uh, I've got a room full of trophies. I gave a bunch of the bigger trophies because we have a church in the back of the store. And uh, we just needed more room. The church is growing. And so, you know, we had them sitting around on the pop belly stove and everywhere else. And that wall's full of plaques. And then I got plaques hanging around the all around the room in there at the top above all the, the hunting supplies. <laughs> but anyway, I gave a bunch of trophies up there, and uh, I've got a bunch of plaques over there and held several pictures, videos of them. But, uh, you know, what went into that meant a lot, you know, uh, the, the dogs, you know, and, and uh, the accomplishments and bringing some young boys along and letting them handle dogs. My grandson, for example, started at 12 years. He won some cats he shouldn't have won. He lost a good many cats he should have won. But yet he still ended up having put a total of seven titles on the Zeus dog from UKC and AKC and uh, P PKA and going to the nationals with him and the UKC world qualifier. Had several dogs qualify for the world. The Zeus did a couple of times. Uh, yeah, Zeus and Deuce. Uh, that's another young dog. That Pepper and Holly was Grand Night Champion, and she's a heck of a dog. And sold her to uh, uh, King up in uh, Tennessee, uh, Sevierville. Uh, anyway, you know, uh, uh, I, I, it's just hard to. So I had so many. I have to sit down and look at. It. The bloodlines going back to, uh, I know you mentioned something about some of the bloodlines. We went back to uh, Thunder JR quite a bit, uh, Bingo, uh, uh, Rocky, uh, some of the Briar Creek, uh, Woodstock. Uh, and so what I've done is, is I've tried to pay attention and produce a better dog. So I've been breeding some off and on, maybe one litter a year, sometimes two, uh, except when I got into it a little bit heavy with the blue ticks and wasn't prepared for it. Uh, I had a learning process there too. So I had to learn how to do a lot of the doctoring on the dogs myself too, cause finances. But anyway, I, the, the, the breeding of the dogs is the most key element is knowing what you're breeding, knowing the characteristics. For example, if you've got a, a dog that uh, has a bad characteristic or trait that you don't like, don't accentuate the negative by breeding to another dog that's got the same problem. And you're just going to have double the trouble. You know, sometimes you can breed some things out of dogs. Some of it can't be, you know. It's just like what's going on in our country today. You ignorant to the fact can be fixed if if you don't know. You just don't know. So you can be taught or trained 
on that. But stupidity can't be fixed. I mean, that, that's something that's, you know, if it's just stupid, it's just stupid. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to get political, but that's about where we're at today in our country. But at the same time, with our dogs, we're seeing, you know, some dogs is just stupid. You know, it's the, you, as a general rule, that's not the most of the dogs want to please you. But all of them's gonna not going to make top-notch dogs. But they will make satisfied. I used to have plenty of time, and I could work with young dogs because I had plenty of life left in me. I had plenty ahead of me. And, and I'd take patience, and I'd work with some dogs that people would give up on and bring them around that I could treat coons with. That it wasn't, they wasn't, you know, maybe top-notch dogs. But as, as I learned from this, I learned if you want to get coon dogs, you need to be able to have coon dogs with the right genes behind them to produce coon dogs. And if we watch what we're doing and know something about the bloodline, and, and that's the importance, it concerns me about crossbreeding. I think crossbreeding is good. Uh, for the dog population and knowing what you're breeding to, but at the same time, it shouldn't replace our purebred dogs because that is a way that we can keep up and keep track of our bloodline. Granted, there's a lot of people out there that put a lot of titles on dogs that, that the people made the titles, not the dogs. And, and so you gotta, you gotta know something about the dog. And, and the more you can learn about the dog and the quality of dogs and, and what you're breeding. I, I just so I raised two litters of puppies this fall and, and, and 16 puppies. Out of one litter, nine puppies, seven of them are treeing, and they're just six months old. I, I sold some puppies down in, in uh, Dillon, South Carolina, to a man that hunted walkers that heard about my bloodline. And at 12 weeks of age, it's treeing every breath. Uh, my grandson got one 14 weeks old. I've got videos to show you this. Uh, 14 weeks old. Uh, another boy down in uh, uh, Camp Penn, South Carolina, got one 14 weeks old, tree and every breath. Uh, another one I ended up, boy, was supposed to got me anyway, didn't get it. Another boy got it, and it's four months old and never had a pup in his life of no kind, no hound whatsoever. And that's what he decided he wanted, and he took it, and he asked me a few things. I told him a few things, how to show him what you want him to do. And got him interested. He got a coon hide and coon tail to start with, drug it for him. In two weeks' time, that puppy is treeing every breath at four months old. And and the boy had never been around coon hunting, around dogs. And he just tickled to death. And so, you know, it, most dogs do want to please you. And, and you want to show them what you want them to do. Once they understand that, then the training process is putting them in the woods. You've got to put them in the woods. They're not going to make it on the chain. They're not going to make it on the kennel. And they're not going to make it by wishing it on. Right. Once they learn how to do it themselves, they will become, most of the time, they'll become what you want to or as close to. Maybe it's not exactly what you want, but they'll come close to what you want. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, previous podcast I've done with a fellow, he said, you're gonna to have to turn the gun smoke off and get off Facebook and get in the woods if you want to if you want a coon dog. Yeah, and yeah, that's I, right. I, yeah. I couldn't agree more with with what he, what he said there. Um, 
Well, I uh, I think we covered pretty good there on the dogs, but let's let's talk real quick about the. Um, <laughs> this is kind of this is kind of what intrigued me about the story uh, when uh, a young man Nicholas Blanton reached out to me and gave me your information. You have a feed store, dog supply store, coon club, and a church in the same building. Is that is that right? Well, it, yeah, I have a church, but no, the coon club is up at a, another property we have. It's not here. Okay. Now, we do have our coon hunts down here, what we call pound hunts on Friday night when the season's in. And we have a group together, and they pay in a little uh, side pot, you know, and then we go out and we hunt and disperse out uh, 80% back to the winter. With the, It depends on the weight. We have had as many as uh, 30, 35 people. And we split. Uh, we split at twenty-five, and make sure that the winner's going to get at least a hundred dollars. Uh, and and then the, and I believe thirty-seven is the next where we have a three-way split. But our numbers is not much now as and before. We don't have as many hunters as we did. And another thing, our hunting territory is shrinking a lot now. One thing I might add while we're talking: first of all, most of us coon hunters don't have enough property on the hunt. We have to depend on other people, landowners. We need to respect that. We need to respect the landowner. What hurt us around here, a lot of places, and I hear the same story, a lot of places you go, people throwing down trash, people not respecting, maybe turning down their fences. If you cross a fence, go under it if you can. If you're climbing over and you break a loop, Fix it back for them. If you have to, go back the next day and fix it back. Go to a landowner and offer to help. Be a, be uh, wise enough to know that something I can do to help mow the grass or help fix a fence or whatever the needs are. Help haul the hay if they need hauling the hay to the farmer or whatever you can do to help out. And, and you know, all good things in life don't come free. Somebody's got to do something to earn it. And sometimes we need to earn the right to be able to hunt on somebody else's property that we don't own. You, you so, are, you're anyway. exactly exactly right there. I got a, another guy I listen to that has a podcast. His name's Clay Newcomb, and he uses the term guarding the gate. He's a bear hunter. Yeah. And, yeah. and he uses the term guarding the gate. And I, I don't think there's a better fitting term than to guard the gate. Matter of fact, I got some property right down the road here from my house is several hundred acres a guy owns and how I got permission to hunt in there was not asking him could I hunt he put up a new fence we had a big rain come through and his cows got out and he was he he has a underground construction company and he was up in Kansas City working and I just happened had stopped and talked to him while they were fixing fence um when they were putting it in and I had his number and I called him and I said hey uh, Mr. So-and-so, your, your cows are out, but me and my wife, we got them put back in and I pieced the fence back together the best I could with what I had. But you know, I got a, a panel put up there where they can't get out. And you know, when he got back in town, I pulled down there and I had my dog box in the truck and you know, I was talking to him and he was working on his fence and I was helping him with the, with the fence there. And he said, what kind of hunting you doing? I, I told him, he said, well, here's a key to the gate. You can hunt my place anytime you want to. <laughs> and and, and that, that's how I got it. Just yeah. just being right. being a neighbor. That that's, that's the big right. thing. Just being a neighbor. So yeah. I, I'm glad you said that's that because that's that's yeah. very very important for 
well for our yeah. livelihood if we're going to keep the sport alive is to have places that's to go right. hunt that's right well yeah you're exactly right but i getting back to uh the question you'd asked me about i i had been dreaming for a long time to have a hunting supply store that's something of my own i worked 32 years at carolina freight uh loading and unloading trucks i worked a couple years at a couple other places before that and I've been here at this store for 26 years. Uh, Dad and I had a bunch of chickens. Mom was real sick, going through a lot of problems when I retired from Carolina Freight. And I had the dogs in the kennel. I, uh, we had a bunch of, um, we had over 500 chickens from a, a different breeds and quail and pheasants, peacocks. Bring out a lot of uh, school kids and, and, and groups come out and, and just tour the place. but. You know, I enjoyed all that, but I still had my dogs. And I told Dad, uh, uh, I said, Mom had passed away. And I, I said, Dad, I've always wanted a store, and we need some feed, all these birds and everything, and and I need dog feed. And I'm thinking about this opening store. I had an offer for about a person three different times to go in business with a hunting supply store. And, and uh, I, I didn't. He's always good to me, but. I all know, also knew that uh, we had trouble. Uh, sometimes he'd tell me stuff that just wasn't exactly right, and I thought, well, I can't hardly go in business with him if I can't believe everything he tells me. So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't venture to do that. Anyway, you know, it's something we did. So me and my son and, and son-in-law got together. We cut the logs. We hauled them to sawmill. We built a building, rough cut lumber and everything else. And in our county, we had to have a, uh, supposed to have a building permit and license. Well, to start with, it's just going to be a little building for feed room. And and uh, had two boat sheds on each side that run off from it. Well, as we got into it, we started building more. We had more lumber, so we decided to make it bigger. And then I said, well, why don't I just have one section in here for a hunting supply store? And they said, okay. I said, we'll specialize in coon hunting. So anyway, the son decided, well, you know, I like to fish. How about let's make him fishing? So uh, we tried that, you know, made it big enough for that. And then we grew and I had to add on to the side. And I had a neighbor over here who didn't like the idea of us building a store here and out behind my house. And so he turned me into the county and they came around and we uh, we had it took three years cost me thirty five thousand dollars come in compliance with the county to be able to keep the building but we grew more and spread out more and and uh, lord really blessed us we did real good for about 10 12 years until until we got a certain person in as president and things went down south and uh, anyway it started improving in in 2016 and it's been picking up ever since. But now we're, uh, we're in a little bit of low right now, and hopefully we're going to get that corrected after this year. Anyhow, the, the store's been good to us, and yeah, I've got to meet so many people, and God has blessed me. In the meantime, I've had 10 surgeries. I've had some health problems and three back surgeries. Both knees were placed and, and some internal surgery and, and uh, you know, uh, gangrene, one thing or another. But anyway, eye surgery and arm wrist surgery but in all that 
uh, after it's seven years ago, my grandson had got Horizon Award winner for the English breed. Uh, and we went, took him into Indiana and, uh, he had got his uh, recognition from the English United English Association with the jacket and the plaque and trophy and all. And, uh, UKC had sent him a plaque for a Horizon Award winner for the English breed and, and a savings bond and all. So, you know, he's uh, just 15 years of age and receiving this award and just knew his head because he left competition. And uh, he had done real well with Zeus dog, Flint Rock Smooth too. Smooth Talking Zeus was his name. Cool, smooth uh, Dr. Zeus. Anyway, he handled some other dogs, but that's his main dog he handled. He had a blue tick. He, he did good with him, but we'd sold him because we mostly we had so many English dogs specializing in English dogs. Anyhow, he came in, he said, Papa God called me since I've been, I think he said he's 12 years old when God called him to preach. So he was preaching some when he got an invite at his home church and a couple other places around found out he's preaching. And we, we'd always go to hear him when we got a chance. And he's going to seminary after graduating high school and college junior college and he got uh, a degree in engineering and he said god called me to preach and i said okay fine so he went up here to a local Baptist theological seminary now called fruitland but anyway he he like one semester graduate we had heard him and a lot of people liked him and uh they liked his style of preaching and they you know it wouldn't be no problem for him to get a church so i told him i said he said, come in. He said, Papa, God's called me to plant a church. I said, well, I don't know, hardly know what a church plant is. But, I, you know, I've heard about them, but I don't know much about it. But anyway, I said, if that's what he told you to do, that's what you need to do. And you don't have but another semester, and you're going to get your di diploma and degree. And, and uh, you know, and I know you'll get a, a, a good church. He said, well, it ain't getting a, a church. He told me to start one. And I said, well. Son, you need to do that. And he said, well, and I said, you know, it's just going to be a short while. He said, you'll be ready to, to do that. And he said, no, Papa, you don't understand. He's told me to do it now. I said, well, son, don't you never refuse to do what God told you to do if you know that's what he told you to do. But he said, there's only one problem, Papa. I don't have a place to start. We used to have bluegrass gospel when me and Dalton was growing up and and we, you know, we'd have sometimes 15, 20 people back here picking and grinning and having bluegrass gospel music, and we don't have that anymore. And the business is down with the store, so the whole back part of the store is not being used. I'd like to start it here, if you'd let me. Well, you know, I wasn't going to tell my grandson no. Uh, I was kind of, uh, uh, I may phone back, you know, to think about it, but anyway, uh, well, okay, son, if that's what you want to do. And so anyway, he, he told an associational uh, missionary, and he came by, and he, he looked it over, and he said, this looks good, and took pictures of it and all, and he got your endorsement. And he says, now, did your home church uh, offer, the pastor offer for a couple of his members to come and help you get started? And he said, no. I looked at him, and I said, 
you think he needs to help somebody to help him get started? He said, absolutely. I mean, you know, just by himself, he's going to need some help and instruction, and we'll help him as much as we can. But I got to my house, and I was, was praying about it. I was telling the wife, so we prayed about it, and we felt God was leading us to help him plant the church. So that's what we, we did. We jumped in there, and we've been here seven years now. And then his mom and daddy, she was uh, playing the piano at another church, and and he was a deacon in the other church that's going to, and, and things changed, and they felt led to come over here and help too. They're our son, and we're not trying to make it a family affair, but we've got several people. Brett told me that God had called him to plant a church for this reason, that there's a lot of people out there that are broken, they're hurting, they're looking for a place of healing and refuge that they can feel comfortable. Most people don't feel comfortable, especially if we went through some trials and tribulations in their life, don't feel comfortable in going to a well-established, organized church. And I said, well, that makes sense. Son. So, well, we're going to name the church. Anyway, I said, well, you do whatever you want to, but all I know is this. We have a rock around here called Flint Rock. And I said, that when this is a dirt road out here, we grew up, and had a molasses meal out there, and my job was pulling the mule to go around and around to squeeze the juice out of the cane, sugar cane, to make molasses, and they had a vat out there, and the juice in there, and they made molasses, and, and we had it lined up out there, and there's some oak trees on the dirt road, and the big old rocks, when they graded out, called Flint Rocks, and we get up on them playing cowboy and the Indians, and there's three of them out there, and with us and, and cousins around here, that's what we'd play all the time. We'd get on them rocks and play. And uh, TV was just starting to come in the picture. Uh, you know, we, I'm a, I was almost a teenager before we ever had television or even running water in the house. Anyway, that's, you know, that, I said, that rock is real hard. I said, I used to plow this ground where this building's at. And there's a few of them in the ground down there. And when that point of the plow was, I'm plowing with the horse and mule. When that point of the plow hit that rock, it'd kick back and the handles on the plow stock would hit you in your side and give you a hip pointer. I said, that, that's how hard that rock is. I said, uh, I said, you see this rock out here that, that Dad brought when there's one he'd plowed around because when they paved this road, they buried all those big rocks and some took them and put them in the yard for rock garden. But this one rock, his dad been plowing around for 15, 20 years down here with the tractor. And while we was building this thing, he happened to hit it. And he said, son, I don't know what you're going to do for a stepping stone to get in the store, but I've got the ideal thing. I said, what is it? He said, that big flint rock down yonder, I cut it in half with the distar while ago. He just put that thing on the wagon, bring it up here, and, and uh, it'd make good both sides of it just go side to side so we did that and so when it comes to name the store the wife said what you gonna name the store so we decided well flint rock kundin well when it came to name the dogs the kennel the last kennel name we got what you gonna name it well the dog we got the grand night champions flint so we'll just call it flint rock kennels so when it came to the church then and i I told, I said, I don't know anything is any stronger than rock. And I know Peter said he's going to build a church and build it on rock, something that with solid foundation. So Flint is a good, hard rock to build it on. So that's what the meaning behind the store 
uh, is because of Flint Rock Baptist Church. God's blessed us. Last year we baptized eight here. We were, we were averaging around 20 people, 21, 22, 23. We have had as many as 25 people. And special occasions where we have some banquets afterwards or dinners, roll everything, I put all the shabby on wheels so we can roll them all over and put out tables and all. We have had as many as 25, 30. We have had as many as 35 down there just for playing bluegrass gospel music with spectators and players all. So anyway, we, in a pretty good sized room, Lord blessed us last year. We built, took in part of the feed room because our feed business is as big as it was. And we took in a, a 12 by 20 section in there to make a nursery for a small kid. And uh, one of the rooms used to be a boot room. We turned that into the church office for the pastor. And then we've got another office just for the store. So, you know, it's it's unusual, but it's, it's neat in one sense of the word that uh, it's compact. It's uh, the closeness and the fellowship. We've got, uh, it's a loving church. We've got loving people. Most of the people are hunters or some of them are outcasts that a lot of people would uh, maybe wouldn't, they wouldn't feel welcome to come around. Some of them maybe not dressed. You know, we say, come as you are. Uh, God interested in your heart, not what you wear. So, um, you know, uh, we're having a good time and the Lord's blessing us and we just, we just have a good fellowship. Uh, most of us have ended up hugging each other every time we get together. And I mean, it's in a good way. It's not nothing kind of ordinary. Kind of, people get wrong ideas sometimes. But anyway, we just, you know, God's, God's blessings. And I've, I've grown a lot. We have a Bible study on Sunday night, and us men get together, and the women get together. All of them don't participate, but the ones that do, we're learning a lot. And I'm still learning. I'm 77 years old, and I'm still learning God's using me. And I want to, I just want to be an instrument of his service and to do whatever I can to promote that. But also, in the process, he's given me a love and desire for how to go nature and hunting and dogs. And I'm, even though I'm not able to get in the woods, I can sit in a truck and drive the truck and listen, and I can breed some dogs. I, I'm on dials now three times a week. It really slows me up a lot. I had to hire people to help feed my dogs and puppies this year to help raise them. It cost me about as much as I got out of them. Just uh, raised the puppies, but anyway, and I've still got somebody that I'm paying to help look after. Uh, it, it's been a it's, it's, it's been a journey, and I've really enjoyed it. God has really been good to me and blessed me. And so anyway, I appreciate you having the opportunity to give me this opportunity. And uh, if I thought, it, you know, there's something we can do to help further yours, I will give you a, a high recommendation because I've got to talk with you, and I, and I respect you, and I thank you for that. Nick Hillard gave me, came down and did a video of us uh, last year, and, and uh, I'm really, uh, you know, probably one of the sorriest hunts we've ever had. Embarrassed me, but anyway, we 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 uh, we enjoyed them coming down and doing the video. And uh, God, God's just big. Uh, John's been good to us. We've got several thousand people that's been viewed it, and we've had a lot of business because of it. And I just, I just thank God for it. I really. I'll finish uh... up. We appreciate you saying that about 
the church and the broken people and, and the the podcast and stuff and that is that is what it's about is getting broken people to the to the right place so they can get the right message for sure. That's right. That's right. And but anyway, I'll say this: I've I've enjoyed this and I appreciate the opportunity that you've given me to be able to give a little of my testimony. And and uh, I've been, I don't mean to go to running rabbits on you, but sometimes it, it's kind of hard. There's a lot of a lot of memories out there, and they'll come rushing back sometimes, and things will just slip through your mind. There's one other thing that you asked about a funny thing that happened. It, it, you know, I might tell that. Uh, it it uh, when when I was just uh, in high school. I went down to my uncle's, which I live in Bessemer City. It's only about 10 miles or so from me. And this uh, dog was running the coon down there. We had four dogs that night. Uh, no, excuse me. We only had three dogs because my penny dog was passed. Just, I was running the bell dog, and he was running the Joe, Black and Tan, and, and Bud dog. Where my uncle used to, my uncle lived down there. There was an old silver mine there. They drilled in the ground and trying to find silver and uh, left a big hole about 90 foot deep. And it was probably about 12 foot square. And they put timbers over it, but the timbers had fell in and there was no covering over it. The dogs were running through there real fast. And you could, all of a sudden, two of them vanished. We just couldn't find out what happened to them. So we happened to walk up on the hill and we could barely hear them faint barking. But it sounded like it way, way off. Well, the female, Belle, was still running. We got up there, we could see where them dogs had skid for a good two to three yards, carrying leaves with them. When they saw the hole coming, they just couldn't get stopped. They running so fast. Both of them went off in there. Well, those timbers had had, uh, uh, had lodged. One was about 30 feet down. And one dog, the, the Black Pan Joe, and the Bud dog, was about 40 feet under those timbers down. And they just a barking and Bud just bounced every time he did and he just he scared to death he's gotta go on down to the bottom because it's a long way down there to you hear them gravel and little gravel rocks fall in there and hit that water. So anyway, her lights no better than it was is you couldn't hardly see that far down that hole. Well, Uncle Joe worked for a power company, local power company at Rolford Electric and he carried he took that power truck home with him at night, and he had a rotten tackle and ropes and everything on it. So he had to leave me in the woods, and I stayed there. There's a Japanese hornet nest on the other side and built in the stump in one corner over there, and they kept coming. We used a gas lantern to see, to walk with. So <coughs> I had to cut the gas lantern down, and it was dark, and I stand there with the dogs, and, and that coon had brought bail by that hole or close to it till they got up on realized it. I was there up on that hole because when she's coming, I'd turn the light on and he'd make a move and she came by the three different times trying to run her off in that hole. But anyway, she didn't and she ended up getting treed way in there. Joe came in, he lowered me down, set up a, a, with some trees and set up a, the pulley, lowered me down in there and, and uh, tied me off. Uh, I tied the rope around uh, Joe, and he pulled him out uh, by himself and uh, and left me hanging. Uh, got When he got him back, he sent the rope back down. Uh, 
then untied me, lowered me down to bud, and that was really scary, going under those other timbers above me, and him bouncing, barking down there, just knowing he'd go any minute, you know. And uh, God, it was kind of tricky to have to pull me back out, but to pull the dog out first and leave me tied off, because he couldn't pull both of us up at the same time. So they me tied off and he got Bud out. And when they got him out, then they had to tie them dogs up there uh, to a tree to keep them from going off anywhere, you know. So anyway, he tied tied off and got me out. And that, that was an experience that I'll never forget. And I hope I never had to do that again. But this day and time, I don't know whether I'd have done that or not, but that was just, you know, just young enough that it didn't matter, and I, there wasn't too much out there I wouldn't climb as far as the trees. It didn't have to have limbs to, you know, it did need limbs, but I, I could try to just bear hug the tree and go up a, a lot of trees. But anyhow, that you know, I was I'm pretty scrappy and I was young and small, and and I, you know, that's just one of the challenges that probably is a really mysterious. Uh, how that things happen, but if he's writing a book, you definitely want to put that in it. And I just thought I might mention that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's something else for sure. <laughs> that uh, yeah, that that could be hairy even nowadays with with, yeah. with other stuff we have. But yeah, yeah. I, I know you gotta. I know you gotta go so you can tend to the store. I really appreciate you taking time real quick before you go. I got something. Uh, I think it'd just be fitting to go in here with this podcast that uh, I felt like the Lord gave me that the other morning, and uh, I had it kind of wrote down here and wasn't really expecting to, to share it here, but I think with what you said about broken people and the church and stuff like that, I think it'd just be fitting to, to share here with you and, and the listeners out there. And if you're you're in Cherville, North Carolina, right? Yes, sir. If you're in that area, make sure you go by the Flint Rock Coon Den Baptist Church there and say he- say hello to Mr. A.L. Tell him you heard him here on the Coonhound Collective podcast. And I'm going to read this, Mr. A.L., and I know you got to go. If you have to go before I get done, just go ahead. But um, I'm going to read this real quick. It's short. It won't take me but a minute, and we'll close out right after this if that's okay. Okay. I call this the pursuit. The great Hunting's greatest reward is not the kill. It's all the work it took to make it happen from picking out a pup training a young dog and all the things that go with that even picking the right spots to turn loose and all these things is where the hunt happens it's in those times that we are in the full pursuit of the hunt calculating dreaming and even doubting what we've done with our hounds all these decisions must come to fruition in the right way there is a risk involved We can't be everywhere doing all aspects of this at one time. We must make a choice of where to turn loose, when to strike, when to tree. In this fair chase hunt, we are on. If you think about it, there's a link here to God and all that. He created Adam and Eve, gave them everything and all the tools to succeed, and set them free to make decisions just like we set our hounds free to hunt and pick the right track. Sometimes it's right on, sometimes they run off game just like us. Even when we get off, God is still pursuing us. He is persistent in his love for us, just like us for our hounds and the sport. God will not stop, no matter how hard the chase gets. Understanding that God is tracking you down is what separates Christianity from every other faith. 
being a Christian is not you hunting God, but him hunting for you through Jesus Christ. God knows what it means to hunt something you love, you. I hope to bring you great hound stories and interviews, but I hope to also have an impact that will change the way you look at our hounds and our lives and make it better in any way we can. And most important, to make sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters in the end. I just felt like I should share that, uh, Mr. A.L. I think uh, what y'all are doing there is great. I think your grandson there is right on with the church and getting the right people in the right places for sure. And like I said, I really appreciate you taking your time to do this with me today. That's what I wanted to do with this podcast is capture history, stories, and adventures that people's been on. And in the end, make sure we're pointing people to Jesus. Well, I thank you. And one, one thing I'd like to remind you of the Randy Leonard family, uh, remember him in prayers. Randy's only 53 years of age. He's won, uh, I know, two world championships with the uh, awesome dog with a lot of bloodline I've got from awesome. Also, John the Baptist, I got some of his bloodline down here, my dogs too. And uh, he ended up with COVID, big, strong, stout guy. You think nothing could ever happen to Randy Leonard. And I don't know how many champion dogs, and he was one of the premier dog handlers in this part of the country. Passed away Sunday with COVID, and uh, they did everything they could to to try to save him. But anyway, yeah, and we, I'm uh, glad we you, never know. I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually had somebody yeah. text me yesterday. Um, telling me about Randy and his son yeah. Cody, and said yeah, that that's right. you know now is not the time. But at some point, yeah. I, I'd like to try to get Cody on here and and talk about yeah. his dad and their and their hunting yeah. adventures and stuff. I think yeah. it'd be real good. Yeah. So yeah, if you're out there listening yeah. and you 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 know him or don't know him, remember uh, Cody yeah. Leonard and his dad was Randy yeah. Leonard in your prayers. And uh, there there are going to be some different times coming up for them that they're going to have to adjust to. So we definitely want to do that. That's right. And and Cody's mother just died two years ago with cancer. So yeah. now his mom and dad both gone. He's just a young man. Yeah. Well, Mr. Yeah. Al, I sure thank you for taking your time okay. to, to do this. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I know you got to get down there to the store and get, get that took care yeah. of. And yeah. uh, I hope to talk to you again. And if I ever make it out that way, I'll be by to see you. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, Jason. Bye. Well, guys, that was Mr. A.L. McSwain. If you're in the Cherville, North Carolina area, let me encourage you to go by the Flint Rock Coon Den in the Flint Rock Baptist Church area. Say hello to Mr. A.L. Tell him you heard about him here on the Coon Hound Collective podcast. Uh, I really would appreciate it if you in the area, if you can go by and shake his hand, sit a spell, talk with him. Real nice guy. We've had a couple phone call conversations. And I really want to thank Mr. Nicholas Blanton for putting me on to him and was able to work it out through him and, and get this lined up. So if you're out there listening to this and you know somebody like Mr. A.L. that you know maybe people might not know right off, send me an email thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Send me a message through Instagram or Facebook at thecoonhoundcollective, and I'll do my very best to try to get them on here. That's the stories we want to cover right there. Thank you for listening today. I hope you have a great day.
Thanks, guys, for listening to the Coonhound Collective Podcast today. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you don't mind, head over to Facebook and give us a like, and head over to Instagram and give us a follow. It's both at The Coonhound Collective. Also, if you would like to reach us here at The Coonhound Collective, you can reach us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. If there's someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or a product that you would like to hear talked about, please send it to thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Thanks again. Have a great day.